If you have your Bibles, join me in 1 Peter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 to 17 this morning. If you remember last week, we spoke about the beauty, value, and confidence of godly wives. A really important but really specific study. This study today is going to be for everyone. So I hope you'll open your ears and your minds and your heart to the truth today. Okay, I'm going to do this probably every week now. I'm going to quiz the room on what our theme is because I say it every week. And if you're listening, you will know what our theme is. What is our theme through the book of 1 Peter? Someone shout it out. Come on. It's on your bulletin if you have to cheat. I don't care. What's our theme through the book of 1 Peter? Good job. I heard two of them at least. Good job, guys. Fighting as victors. That's right. I'm going to ask you next week too. So Remember our theme. It's important. It's going to come up almost every lesson because uh, it's really what Peter's trying to draw out this morning. But the title of our lesson today is going to be called Good versus Evil. Good versus evil. And like I said, we're going to read First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17, if you'll join me. Listen to the word of God. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when they are, when, when, excuse me, when you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word this morning. Did you ever find yourself on the wrong team or wrong side? As my dad mentioned, it's March Madness time. Some of you probably don't care about that or are interested in that, but uh, there are many people in this world who are filling out brackets as they uh, watch the college basketball games. And um, for the last 10 years or so, I've run this bracket pool, not for money, just, just for bragging rights, online with 12 to 18 family members and friends. My goals aren't very high for March Madness. You know, I have one goal. I just want to beat my wife. <laughs> I am the one who has some knowledge with college basketball. You would believe I would want to have won more than <laughs> one more than not, but that is not true. Out of how many, out of 10 years, how many times do you think I've beaten my wife? Twice. Twice. And Janine is the one who picks based on random things. You know, oh, my three boys were born in Michigan. Or we had a cat named Duke. Or we actually did. Or uh, I went to school in Wisconsin. Versus me, I'm trying to actually figure out who's the better team, who's the better matchup, who's the strongest. And already this year, I'm down to Janine once again. So I've been on the wrong side of that. I'm ahead of you. Yes. That's another good goal. Uh, Beat my dad. But I'll, I'll share another story of a time that I was on the wrong side, the wrong team. Uh, as my dad mentioned, we are Michigan Wolverine fans. My dad started his ministry in Michigan. I was born in Michigan as well as my two siblings. And so we were all Michigan fans growing up. 
And around my mid-20s, around 2007, I believe this was, I had a few college friends who actually moved to the Michigan area. And even though I was living in Pennsylvania at the time, I hadn't moved to Michigan yet. They would, from time to time, come up with Michigan tickets. And so they would contact me and say, hey, Todd, I got an extra ticket. Do you want to come out to the game? Well, that's exactly what happened in this time. My roommate, Mark, from college, contacted me and said, Todd, I know it's short notice, but I have an extra ticket to the first Michigan game of the season. Do you want to go with me? And I said, well, it's pretty short notice. I don't think I can get any time off work. But I said, well, if I drive through the night and go to the game and then drive through the night and come back home, I could probably make it in time for work on Monday. So I decided to do it because I was a big fan. And it was the first game of the season. If you're familiar with sports, especially college sports, you like to put the cupcakes at the beginning of your schedule, right? The easy ones, the ones that you can breeze past, shake off the rust with. And so Michigan was playing a team called Appalachian State. I had never heard of Appalachian State. In fact, I wasn't sure they were a real team. I thought maybe they uh, grabbed 22 guys in the parking lot and said, you're playing Michigan today. <laughs> but I was excited because I wanted to watch one of those games that Michigan would just, you know, have a drubbing, 52 to 3 or something like that. And so that's kind of what I expected when I went to this game. So I, I drove through the night. I got to the game, was at the stadium there with my friend Mark. All excited to see Michigan just, you know, trounce this team called Appalachian State. And uh, the game began. And Michigan came down, drove the ball down the field, and scored a touchdown. I'm like, there it is. All right, go blue. Let's do this. Up 7-0 on Appalachian State. This is just the beginning of something great. But uh, Appalachian State got the ball, and they too drove down the field and scored. I was like, ah, okay, you know, beginning season rust, shake off the rust from summer. And Michigan got the ball, drove down the field, and scored again. I was like, okay, Appalachian State got their one touchdown. This is going to go well. Uh, by the end of the first quarter, I think it was 14-14, Appalachian State had tied the game. And Michigan was having real trouble stopping their offense for whatever reason. And they looked really bad, really rusty. But at this point, I'm not really worried. I'd seen Michigan do that before, and they came back and eventually won. But around the second quarter, Appalachian State actually scored another touchdown. Now it was 21-14. And Michigan is looking bad at this point. Another touchdown by Appalachian State. Now it's 28-14. Michigan was able to get a last-second field goal before the end of the first half, but at the end of the first half, it was 28-17, Appalachian State. And at this point, I'm like, what, what is going on here? Who is this? Who is this team that we cannot beat? And so I'm, I'm listening to some people in the stands at that point, and one guy behind me, about two rows behind me, goes, I can't believe I drove all the way from Grand Rapids to see this game. And I gave this guy like a half turn, like, dude, don't even. Because I drove nine hours in the car overnight to get to this game. So the second half comes out, and you're probably expecting Michigan to get it going, okay? Michigan did put some more points on the board. We got to the fourth quarter, and it was, it was really close. Michigan was actually down by, like, two. And it was one of those games now you're thinking, okay, all I want now is a victory. I just want them to get by this team and forget this ever happened. Uh, and it would still be a good game, I guess, as long as your team got the victory. But Michigan was down two late in the fourth quarter, and I'm nervous now, going, oh, no, you know? They had better pull this game out, or this is going to be the worst thing that I've ever seen <laughs> as a sports fan. Um, so Michigan did. They got down, they kicked a field goal with about four minutes left, and you're, you, everybody breathed a sigh of relief in the stadium, going, okay. All right, it's going to be a squeaker. We're going to get by this team, but it's going to be close. But it was enough time for Appalachian State to get the ball back, drive down the field just enough to get in field goal range, they kicked the field goal and went up through the uprights. Good. 
they were now up 32, excuse me, 34-32 on Michigan with like 45 seconds left to go. Do you know what I did? I left. I said, Mark, I, I'm not going to sit here and watch Michigan lose to Appalachian State. I have too much pride for this. <laughs> so he's like, really? I said, yeah, I'm gone. I don't want to be here when they lose to Appalachian State. Because Michigan was playing terrible on both sides of the field. I just had no confidence that they were going to get this thing done. So with about 40 seconds left, Mark and I leave the stadium. <laughs> and we're walking to our car, and all of a sudden we hear this loud roar from the stadium. 100,000 people are cheering. And now I'm like, Oh, happy but not happy because I didn't see it. And now I'm scrambling to find one of those like tents, you know, that they have a tailgate at so I can find one of those little TVs. And we finally do find one. We find a little TV and, you know, there's like eight or ten guys huddled around it. And I'm like, get out, get out of the way. I got to see how this game ends. Well, Michigan had just thrown like a 45-yard Hail Mary, but it only got them down to like the 15-yard line. But now all they needed was a field goal because they're down by two points. They were going to line up, kick this field goal, make it. It was going to be 35-34 Michigan. And now I'm thinking, Mark, why did we leave? You know, we should have stayed. We could have saw an incredible ending. So we're, all, we're talking to the guys next to us. Some of these guys we don't even know. And we're like, whew, that was a close one, right? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to slip by this one. But Michigan lines up to kick the ball. And you can imagine what's going to happen next. Michigan goes to kick this really short chip shot of a field goal. No brainer. It's going to go through, and it's blocked. Blocked. And that's how the game ends. Appalachian State 34, Michigan 32. Uh, that was not a fun drive home. One of my friends actually called me and said, Dude, I think I saw you on SportsCenter. Are you the guy with your hands in your head? I said, Everyone had their hands on their head. <laughs> Come to find out it was not me. But I was really frustrated that Michigan lost to Appalachian State. You know what? It has gone down as the greatest upset in college football history. In fact, if you would Google that exact thing, Michigan App State would come up, and your pastor was at that game. <laughs> have you ever been on the wrong team? I was on the wrong team that side. Should have been an App State fan. I think they're a real school. I actually checked. Uh, they are. But Good versus Evil is the title of our lesson today. Good versus Evil. A lot of movies and TV shows depict this, don't they? A lot of TV shows and movies you watch, there's a lot of superhero craze around today. That is really the idea we're talking about, is good versus evil. A movie that I liked growing up was a movie called Rocky. You guys remember Rocky? Uh, in this movie, Rocky IV, he's fighting this big old Russian guy. And this is during like the Cold War era, right? So Russia was definitely depicted as the evil one in this movie. And Rocky has to fight this really big Russian, you know, the Russian has basically just killed his friend in the ring. And so Rocky's trying to get revenge. And so you have these two sides, the USA depicted as good and Russia depicted as evil. And just like every other movie, right, Rocky gets into the ring with this Russian and for eight or nine rounds, the Russian wins. You know, evil looks like it's going to pull off the victory. But Rocky stays with it. He punches back. And by the end of the movie, of course, spoiler alert. Rocky wins, um, and good comes out on top. And really, that's how most of these movies go, right? Evil looks like it's going to win. Good eventually pulls back and gets the victory here at the end. Well, I want to look at good versus evil today, but I want to look at it from Scripture. Because Peter has a lot to say about these two subjects. The passage we just read, verses 8 to 17, the word evil is mentioned six times. The word good is also mentioned six times. So you can tell Peter is trying to draw something out here. And so we want to talk about good versus evil today. But I want to mention one thing I've noticed today 
and maybe you guys have noticed this as well, is there's a lot of defeatism going along in Christianity. I'll explain what I mean. Defeatism. Defeatism is basically laying down as if we're the losers, as if we are the ones who are on the opposite side of victory. I see this all over the place. Uh, the, the, the way I'm going to sort of describe this, you guys remember the character Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore was always the guy, oh, I lost my tail. You know, oh, it's going to be bad weather today. <laughs> kind of that Debbie Downer character. I see a lot of this, unfortunately, in our day and age, and I'm even part of it. Things like, oh, I'll always be a sinner. I can never get over who I am. I'll always be broken. I'll never do anything for God. It's defeatism. Defeatism. And I want to talk about victory today, because that's really what Peter has for us today. As we talk about good versus evil, we're going to find out that we are the victors. The good are the victors. They are the ones who have won and are going to win. So this idea of defeatism, we have to change our perspective on it. If you and I are in Jesus Christ, and I say if, I'm not going to assume anyone's soul here today. If you and I are in Jesus Christ, we must get over the idea that we will always be sinners, always be controlled by the evil one, never get over our plaguing sins, and that the best you and I can do is marginal, marginal, minimal impact against the devil. That's really what defeatism is in Christianity. You and I have already been declared winners. Do you know that? That's why we've titled this Fighting as Victors, because Christians have already been declared winners. It's a certainty. It just has to play out. It even says in Scripture that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the gospel. And if you think about that, gates is a defensive mechanism. You build a gate to keep somebody out. And it says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the gospel. In other words, the gospel is busting through the gates of hell and grabbing people from it. Isn't that a cool thing to think about? And so we need to understand that if we're in Christ, we are victors. Not because of anything you and I have done, no. Only because of what our Lord Jesus has done on his own merits, on the cross, and the resurrection. And if we are in union with Christ Jesus through faith, we are Victors, amen? And this victory is so profound and so rooted in the goodness of God that it changes the very nature of how we live. It has to, or we don't have it. If we are not changed from the inward to the outward because of this great gospel, we don't have faith in Christ yet because it does such a profound change within our soul and in our hearts. But we are in Christ the victors. We are the ones who are winning. We are the ones that are going to win. But you and I once know, scripturally based, we were once steeped in sin. We were defined by evil. Scripture actually calls it dead in our sins in Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our sins. It also calls us ungodly. It also says we were owned by the devil. That was the state of our soul at one point. And our end was destruction. And the sad reality is we could do nothing about it ourselves. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because Christ Jesus came into our souls by his grace, through his Holy Spirit, and he shattered the chains of evil that fettered us for good and raised us from the dead, the spiritual dead, allowing us to get up and live for what is good once again. Don't we sing about that? Haven't the chains of sin been broken? 
Amen? They've been shattered. We are no longer bound to those chains of sin. We are free. We are victors. Is sin too great? Are the chains of evil too strong? Is the devil himself too powerful? Are we too broken and defeated for Christ Jesus to change us? Absolutely not. Jesus has all power, all authority, all say so over who receives salvation. But listening to a lot of Christians, including myself, unfortunately, at some times we might think otherwise. What dominates our day and age seems to be this defeatism that I mentioned before. Brokenness, sin, despair, anxiety, darkness, weakness, and fear. Isn't that in a lot of us still? These things plague people today. But we have to understand from Scripture, Jesus defeated them all. These chains that once held us, and they held us tight. Jesus unlocked and shattered the chains of all of these things. And we are not defined by sin or defeat any longer. In fact, I asked the band to play this song that we have played here several times called More Than Conquerors. It's by a band called Wren Collective, but I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song, okay, as we just sang it. This is what the lyrics says. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one who calls me on. You are the life. You are the fight that's in my soul. Oh, your resurrection power burns like fire in my heart. When waters rise, I lift my eyes up to your throne. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins, our Lord, our God, our conqueror. I will sing into the night. Christ is risen and on high. Greater is he living in me than than is in the world. Listen to this last part. No surrender, no retreat. We are free and we're redeemed. We will declare over despair, you are the hope. Amen? Amen? We are more than conquerors through Christ. And that's what Peter wants us to draw us out because about what he's about to say is instruction about how to live good. But if we don't understand that we can live good, we will never appreciate the instruction either. So are you a conqueror in Christ? Do you have faith in him today? If so, the devil cannot defeat us any longer. Evil is going to lose We must understand this because if we don't have this freedom, we have to find it today in Jesus. There's no other avenue of hope. There's no other solution to our sin or our chains. It has to be done through Jesus Christ and by faith in him. But if we do have this freedom today, it changes completely how we think and how we live. And again, it has to. If we have this freedom from evil through faith in Christ, we are now able to be instructed about how to live for good and please God with our lives. And really, that's what Peter's going to do with the rest of our lesson here. He's going to instruct us about how to live good. But remember, you're a victor. You and I are victors, and therefore this instruction is something not only we can do, but we must do. Because we can do good and we can please God with our lives. So, if we understand that we're victors, I want you to take your attention and put it on verse 8 once again. Because Peter says, finally, all of you, if you remember, last, the two, last two lessons were about slaves and masters and wives and husbands. 
But now Peter says, every single soul, come and listen to this instruction. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And the first thing I notice is that Peter wants us to have unity. He wants us to be unified. The word unified means joined together for a common goal. Unity is strong and powerful, isn't it? When someone or something is unified, it's the strongest it can be. But Peter doesn't want us just unified for any goal. He wants us unified in the pursuit of doing good. He wants Wyoming Valley Church, he wants all Christians in all nations to be unified in our pursuit of doing good. And he mentions a few things by showing sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is what Peter says we should be unified about. Things that matter to God. God's commandments to love one another is what Christians should be unified about. Because when we're unified, we are strong. And when we're strong, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. When like-minded Christians seek the plain truth of Scripture, what we're going to look at today, humble mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, we will bond together and we will help one another arm-in-arm pursuing what is most pleasing to God. And what is most pleasing to God is living like his son, Jesus. This is what God is most concerned about, is that you and I take what we've been given and live like Jesus. That's why we use the term following Christ, because that's exactly what we're here to do. Look at his pattern, look at his lifestyle, listen to his teachings, and do exactly that. But we need each other, don't we? We need one another in order to do that properly. And this is what Peter is going to call good today. It's good when we follow Jesus Christ. It's good when we show the fruits of righteousness. And we are on the good team. You and I, through Christ, are on the good team and we're going to be eternal victors. So who's our example? We've talked about this. The Lord Jesus is our specific example as Christians. And wasn't Jesus the perfect example of this? Of a person who lived for righteousness? He was sympathetic. Jesus was full of love. He was tender and compassionate. Jesus was the true picture of humility. Think about this. Jesus was the servant of men. The scripture teaches us, Philippians 2 teaches us that, that not only did he become flesh, Jesus served his own creation. That's a wild thought to think about, but he did. That means Jesus was the ultimate example of humility because the best definition of humility is positional humility. Humility that says, I know my worth in God's eyes, but I am going to serve man. I'm going to serve my neighbor because of the victory I have in Jesus Christ. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not knocking down your worth. It's knowing your worth and then taking on the role of true humility and true servanthood. And we have to strive after the qualities that we just mentioned. Sympathy, love, tenderness, and humility for two primary reasons. They are good things. I mean, it's that simple. They are good things. These things, this word that we use good is, is a little bit overused today. But the idea of something good is something that God considers good. Something that is God-like. And the first reason you and I need to live for these qualities is because they're good. They're good fruit that pleases our good God. 
It's simple, but it's profound. That's why. Number two, they're Christ-like. They're like Jesus. Our Lord was this way, is this way, and God wants us to strive to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. Good. Good things for our good God, from our good Lord. So do you and I want to live for good? We would say yes. I would, if I polled the audience, of course we all want to live for good. We want to be on the good team. But isn't it true that evil surrounds us in this world? Aren't we surrounded by it? This world is unfortunately getting darker and more evil. Remember that movie I mentioned at the beginning? Doesn't it seem like evil's going to win? Doesn't it seem like darkness is taking over and evil's going to win? Do you really want to be on the good team if evil looks like it's going to win? But the dawn is coming, isn't it? The dawn is coming. And when the light comes up and Jesus comes back, good is going to win. And the good and those who do good through Christ are going to win. If you and I are ready to do good and ready to unify in order to do good by walking arm in arm with those who also want to do good, we cannot be thwarted by evil. The devil can't win. He knows it. He's rendered powerless, useless. And there's power in numbers when we're unified. There's so many uh, illustrations of this. When we are unified, we are so strong against evil. But when we're divided, we're easy pickings. The devil can take us one-on-one. And that's not a battle we're usually going to win. But if we're unified, which means we're unified in God and we're unified in the church with one another, the devil can't win. And he knows it. When evil comes together with evil, they're strong too, right? When evil unifies with evil, they do things like 9-11. Right? Evil comes together with evil. They're unified in a common goal. They can do a lot of evil. Isn't that true? But when good comes together with good, we can accomplish much good. And I will say more than any evil could possibly accomplish because we're backed by and empowered by the strength of the almighty God. And evil cannot say that. Evil's God, evil's leader, it does not have limitless power. Our God does. So if you and I are ready to live good and we're ready to be unified in that good, there's nothing to stop us. Nothing to stop good from taking over evil. In verse 9, Peter says this. He says, Do not repay evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Listen to this part. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Peter is quoting the very passage I had Drew read this morning from Psalm 11. Excuse me, Psalm 34. He's, he's quoting this passage as an illustration for what he's saying here. That good is going to win. Good is God's idea for all of his Christians. And if you and I are unified and resolved to do good together, we cannot be derailed by those who wish us harm. Peter says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not repay evil for evil. It's a sad reality that as Christians and professional do-gooders, others will desire to harm us and say all sorts of nasty things about us. It's a reality, though, isn't it? 
People are going to do evil against us. And I'm sure if I asked every single person in this room, has anyone ever done anything evil to you? Every single person would say, absolutely, of course. Probably happened this week. But wishing and carrying out harm on those who seek to do good is the epitome of evil. Didn't they do that to our Lord Jesus? His entire purpose from sunup to sundown was do good, bless others, love his neighbor, submit to the will of the Father. And Jesus was so mistreated. He was reviled. He was mocked. He was blasphemed, which is the true picture of evil. His own people, the Jews, were seeking to kill him and crucify him. They, of course, were not following Jesus Christ. They were following the evil one, and they didn't know it. And the evil one was all about evil. But Peter says, in what he's saying here in verse 9, that you and I have a choice when evil comes to our door. Don't we? If evil comes to our door, we still have a choice. I still have a choice with what to do. To join in and increase that evil by retaliating, which is a choice. This is what I call the uh, road rage syndrome, right? When someone does evil to you, you want to do a little evil back to them. But we have a choice. When evil comes to our door, to either join in and increase that evil, multiply that evil, or to do good and bless this world. When evil is not repaid with evil, but repaid with a blessing, this is a true picture of God and being born of him. Because how and why wouldn't people pay back evil for evil? Why wouldn't they? I mean, look at the world, right? That's what it's all about. Karma, instant justice, knocking down the bullies, right? It seems like that's the most honorable thing we have is when someone does evil to you, you do evil right back to them. You let them know that that evil's not going to stand by showing more evil. That's not the most powerful move, is it? Showing good in the face of evil is the most powerful move there is. And it's proof of eternal life in our soul and our veins. Because we could only think that way and only do that way because of the almighty God. The other day, a guy cut me off while I was driving. Actually, I wasn't even driving. I was getting into a line of a drive-thru. And I was, I was perfectly in line. I was about to be the, the second person that was going to place my order. And some guy came from the other direction and got right in front of me. What would you do in that situation? What would you think in that situation? What would you expect your pastor to think in that situation? <laughs> I was trying not to glare at him, trying not to shake my head at him. I was trying not to turn my brights on him to let him know how wrong he was to get in place of me. And then I thought, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. My son is in the car. <laughs> um it's kind of like reality came back to me. But in the moment, I was thinking, you know what? Evil deserves evil. What this guy deserves is to let it known that he did wrong. To make it up. To get some retaliation. But then I remembered. I remembered our Lord Jesus. And I remembered what he would have done. I remembered how the Lord Jesus lived in the face of evil. He didn't show evil back. That's not the, that's not the goal. That's not the most powerful thing to do. The most powerful thing to do is to show good in the face of evil. And when you and I are treated unfairly, we can get down in the dumps, like Eeyore, or we can see it as the ideal situation to show and prove God in our union with him through Christ. We can either say, woe is me, or see it as an opportunity 
And yes, I know that rhymes. I did that on purpose. Woe is me or opportunity. It's hard to show good in the face of evil, isn't it? It's hard because we have a flesh, and that flesh is crying out for retaliation. Retaliate, Todd. That guy deserves some evil. But we also have a spirit inside of us that is stronger than the flesh. And we can defeat that flesh with God's knowledge and by unifying with other like-minded believers. Victory is certain. Peter tells us that if we return good for evil instead of evil for evil, that one day we will receive a blessing from God. And that's where he quotes Psalm 34, 12 to 16, which tells us that God is in the corner of those who seek and strive to do good, and he's against those who seek and strive to do evil. He will answer the prayers and fight for those who want to do good, but he will oppose those who desire to show evil. We cannot be a part of evil and be a part of God's kingdom at the same time. It's not a working equation. Evil is everything God hates and came to destroy, even in our souls. And can you imagine God opposing you? Because in Psalm 34, it says, God is against those who seek to do evil. That is not the winning team. When evil does evil and when we side with evil, we have just stepped away from the presence and the goodness of God. The overwhelming theme of Scripture, and even here in 1 Peter 3, is that we either turn away from evil and receive God's help in doing good, or we turn away from God and from good and remain in evil forever. And that's a sobering reality. That we either fight with God and win, or we fight against God. And you don't need a lot of explanation for me to tell you today that if we fight against God, we're going to lose. And even the devil, as strong as he seems, and most powerful he seems to be here upon the earth, he's not as strong as God. He's not even close to as strong as God. So we must make sure that we desire to do good and we have the power from God to do so. If we lack the desire to do good, if we lack the power to accomplish good, there might be a problem. We may not have turned to Jesus like we think we have. I've been there. I didn't have the desire to do good. I didn't have the power to do good, but I tried to convince myself that I was a Christian. But no desire to do good. No power to accomplish good. And I had to really consider, am I actually in Jesus like I think I am? Because if you are in Christ, you will desire good, and you will have the power to accomplish it. And the promise for us is that when we strive to do good, even amidst ridicule, slander, and being mistreated, we are going to gain a blessing from God because we please God. And that's the entire purpose of our existence, isn't it? Pleasing God. Not pleasing Todd. Not pleasing yourself. Not pleasing even this church or this community. Our one purpose in this earth is to please our God. And you and I can know for certain that we are victors because of God's promise for a blessing. Because God's promises cannot fail. Even if you do good and you don't receive the blessing or you don't seem like good is winning, God has declared that good is going to win and God has declared that if you do good, you will receive a promise from him. But the devil loves when we try to fight evil with evil, right? That's a great victory for him. 
When evil is shown to us, and we just show that evil right back. Because all that happens is when we show evil for evil, evil spreads and multiplies. And that's exactly what the devil wants. So he's going to make it seem as if the greatest way to get victory is to show evil in return for evil. But that's not how God has taught us. Doing good, seeking peace, and striving to live righteously are our weapons of warfare against this world and against the evil spirit of this world. What's our weapons? Doing good, seeking peace, striving to live righteously are the weapons that God has given us. Remember the story of David and Goliath? David wanted to fight Goliath, but Saul thought it best for him to take all of his armor and, and swords and things like a normal soldier would take. And David said, that's not how I'm going to take down Goliath. I'm going to take him down the way God has taught me, the way God has trained me. I'm going to take Goliath down with a slingshot and a stone. We like to think that the best ammunition is a power, a power move, showing evil against evil, showing that they can't bully us. We, we will stand up to the bullies. We will knock down the bullies. But the good of the weapons of the warfare that God has given us is righteousness and love and peace. Have you ever heard the phrase, kill them with kindness? That's kind of what we're talking about here. Jesus, even in the gospel, said this. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, I say to you, bless those who persecute you. Do not revile those who revile you. And that is from another world. That kind of teaching is from another world. Because that doesn't sound like karma. That doesn't sound like instant justice. That doesn't sound like knocking down the bullies. That sounds like it's from some other place. And it is. And Peter says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, generally speaking, doing good will keep you from harm. People aren't generally picking fights with the good doers, but with those opposing evil with evil. Most potentially harmful situations can be diffused with a calmness and a loving approach because good simply defeats evil. And I'll use road rage again as an illustration. If sh someone shows evil to you on the road and you show evil back, what do you think is going to happen? A dangerous situation, probably a scary situation. But if someone does something harsh to you on the road, something that is unfair and unjust, and you show kindness and turn the other cheek and just drive and don't show any retaliation, most likely the situation will be diffused. Because good will defeat evil even in specific situations. But there are times, Peter tells us, that evil will not go away without a fight. Because he says this, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Sometimes evil is just looking for a fight, and it wants to pick a fight with those who are not like them did it to Jesus. So Peter tells us, prepare for that scenario. Be ready for that scenario today so that when tomorrow evil comes to your door, you're ready to make the right choice. If we're prepared, if we've thought about it, if we've prayed about it, God, I don't want to increase evil. God, I want to fight on the right team. I want to do good and bless this world. When the opportunity comes knocking to your door, you'll be ready to handle it. 
You prayed about it. You thought about it. You considered what your response might be in the face of evil. And Peter says, listen, if you suffer for doing good, you're going to be blessed. If the only reason you suffer is because you sought to do good, God is watching. God is going to remember and God is going to bless you for that suffering. But it may not seem that way in the moment because when evil seeks to harm and destroy us, it seems like it's making our lives worse. But you and I have to remember that God is watching. And he will remember. And he is going to bless the good doers with his power and his eternal blessings. And we must trust that his promises are never going to fail. He's not going to fail one promise that he's made to his Christians. But we also must not lose sight of the brevity of our time on this earth. We're here very, very short time. And right now, suffering seems like the worst thing we could ever go through. Why would I have to suffer? Why should I suffer? Why should I go any, through anything hard? But the average lifespan for a person here in this, in this world is about 70 to 80 years. Take that. It seems like a long time. That's a long time to have to suffer. If I suffered my entire life, that would be a long time. But I want you to look at this verse from Romans 8. Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You take all the sufferings of this world and you compare it to eternal glory. He says it's not even a good enough equation to try and do the math on. It's not even worthy to compare it to. Those aren't worthy comparisons. Earthly suffering versus eternal glory are not worthy to be compared. Earthly suffering is short, but eternity is long. We have no need to fear those who wish us harm because we're on the winning team. Because God says so. Not because that's my opinion. But because God says those who do good and strive to do good are on the winning team. We will be victorious and evil will be punished. Having confidence in the midst of evil and harm is a sure sign of victory. The world doesn't get it. How can they? How can they when they seek to show you evil and you show them good in return? That's very, very foreign. One more passage, one more cross-reference I'm going to show you. Listen to what it says in Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30. Paul says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm and in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There's the unity. Verse 28, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that they, that of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Evil knows we're victors when we're unified and persistent in doing good. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, where someone, it's almost like they're like baiting you into showing them evil. They show you evil and they're baiting you into showing evil in return. But you don't show evil. You show good. You bless. You pray. You thank. You show gentleness and respect. They don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with that. That's otherworldly. It says in Philippians 1, that's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, because you're not like them. You're above that. 
You're higher than that. You live for higher, better things. I think that's where the old adage, take the high road, came from. It's God's road. It's God's road. When you don't take the pattern of this world, you take the pattern of Christ. It's very foreign, and it's a sign of victory. And Peter says, to help ourselves, we must remember and recall Jesus. That will help. When we remember Jesus, when we recall Jesus and what he went through for our sake, it will help in the face of suffering. We have to remember the hope we have in Christ and be active looking for opportunities to share our confidence in him. And what better opportunity to share our hope than when someone seeks to show us harm? What better opportunity, if that's what we're looking for, an opportunity to represent Christ to this world, what better opportunity than when evil comes to your door? Returning good for evil and then giving the credit to the Lord Jesus is a power move. It just is. When you don't show evil for evil, but you show good and then you give the credit to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's otherworldly. And the world has no idea how to handle that because it's so foreign. What they expect is for evil to come back to them. Because that's what you expect, right? Evil for evil, tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. But Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. And it will be strange enough, if we can do this, for people to ask us, why do you live this way? What do you have that I don't have? Because it's so strange. It's so radical. And it opens up a huge door to share the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why I show good in the face of evil? Do you want to know why? It is not to my credit. It is because the Lord Jesus has saved me from my sins. It is because he is the true victor, and I have union with him. And that is very radical. And the world needs to see that kind of approach. Peter tells us to be ready to make a defense about our hope. And you might think, well, defense, there it is. But he's not saying make a defense defensively because he follows it up by saying, show it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience because these things disarm our opposers. They do. If you share the hope of Jesus Christ, not defensively, not in your face, angry, but with gentleness and respect and a good conscience, it disarms our opposers. Because evil wants a fight, and they expect to be given evil in return. But returning good for evil puts evil people to shame. Because you're not like them. You're not of them. You're of the higher, better road. Because there's no way for evil to defeat good. And it's like the world and the media even knows that. Even all those movies I mentioned, good is supposed to win. They know it. Good is supposed to win at the end. No matter how evil it looks at the beginning, they know the good team is supposed to win. The evil has no legs to stand upon with their slander against Christians. Do you remember Daniel in the Old Testament? They tried. Go find some dirt on Daniel so we can toss him into the lion's den. They tried. They couldn't find any because his life was so characterized by good. So what they had to do is they had to make up a law that said you can't do good. You can't pray to God. We won't get him with evil because he doesn't live for evil, but he does a lot of good. So why don't we make up a law that says you can't do good in this way? You can't pray to God. You can only ask things of the king. Well, David can, or excuse me, Daniel continued to do good and found himself in trouble. But even the people who conspired and connived to get that together knew they didn't have a leg to stand upon because Daniel lived for what was good. And even the king knew it. And eventually he pulled Daniel out of the lion's den and threw the bad guys 
into the lion's den because that's what happens to evil. Evil loses. And Peter caps us off by saying in verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. And that's up to God. We don't create our own suffering. That's not a good thing. Don't go out and act like a jerk in order to find suffering. No, God will figure out if it's time for you to suffer. But if it's his will that you should suffer for doing good, it is his will, and that's a good thing. We can and will suffer evil as followers of Jesus because our Lord did. He's our captain, and he faced a lot of evil treatment, and he's a lot stronger than you and I are. But Peter reminds us that suffering for doing good is not the worst thing that can happen to us. The worst thing that can happen to us is evil and the consequences of evil. That is much worse than suffering for a short time here upon the earth. If we choose to turn our back on God and fight with evil, not against evil, it's much worse. They will have eternally grave consequences. So the good must suffer some on the earth. They must. But the suffering we face on earth is nothing compared to the sufferings of hell, is it? Wouldn't you rather suffer for a little while on the earth than suffer for the rest of eternity? Nor does it compare with the eternal glories of being ushered into the kingdom of God. So you do suffer for a little while on earth, but your eternal reality is in the kingdom of God where only good exists forever. No suffering, no darkness, no pain. It's not a worthy comparison to say earthly suffering compared to eternal glory because eternal glory is so much more, so much better. So we can, we could suffer for a little while in the earth. In fact, we must suffer like Jesus in order to fellowship with him in heaven. We can't get to heaven and go, really, I didn't face any suffering. Jesus, you suffered all the time and I followed you? Yeah, I didn't face any. That's not going to happen. In order to fellowship with Jesus, we have to be able to say to Jesus in the last day, I've been there. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to do good and to suffer for it anyways. The only thing we can't do, the only thing you and I can't and mustn't do is evil. That's it. That's the only thing we can't do. We cannot live contrary to the will of God. We can face trials. We can and we will. We can be abused. We can even die for our faith, and many have, but we cannot do evil. We cannot side with evil. That is the worst thing imaginable, because now you fight against God. Now you fight against the winning team. And that's the worst, most heinous thing. But if we suffer for doing good, the suffering is temporary. It's not going to last into eternity. And you and I will receive an eternal blessing for it. And even if we die doing good, the death that we die is simply a corridor into our eternal home and glory. Even the death, even the martyrdom, if it should come to us here in this country, is simply an entrance into the kingdom of God. Being determined to do good gives so much assurance to our souls of who we are and where we belong to God himself. It brings so much assurance of that. But if we fall into an evil lifestyle like the rest of the world, we will forfeit our blessings from God, and God will cease to fight for us. And that is a truly terrifying place to be. I don't know much about you people, but I must, I must confidently say today you want God on your team, don't you? 
Every single one of us wants God on our team. God is on the good team at all times, in all circumstances. And we must be on the Lord's side and be practicing good to prove that we are on his side. Because that's what it proves. When we do good in the face of evil, we're proving who we belong to. Following Jesus means we will strive to always live righteously. Always. Will we at all times? No, we won't at all times. But we should always strive to live righteously on this earth. Because living righteously proves we are of God and on his team. I have a couple personal questions for you, and they're personal in nature, so there's something you need to answer in your soul before God. Question number one is this. Are you a victor in Christ Jesus? Have you been saved from your sins and had the chains shattered which used to bind you? That's a really important question. That's nothing that you can do for yourself. That's nothing that I can do for you. It can only be found by seeking the Lord and his salvation. And if not, there's no step two until we figure that out. Until you find salvation from the Lord Jesus, there is no chance that you can accomplish the good that you need to. But when we find salvation, we will know it because we will gain the desire to do good and the power to accomplish it. If you are saved today, you are more than a conqueror through Christ. Evil does not have any rights or any ownership to you at all whatsoever. And I suggest and encourage to you today to live and fight against evil from certain victory because it's a guarantee. And question number two is, are you fighting evil with more evil? When evil comes to your door, do you show evil back in return? Or do you fight it with goodness, with kindness, with love and humility like our Lord Jesus did? Because evil can only be defeated by good. And all evil cannot defeat good. We must be near the source of all good things, which is our Lord Jesus, and we must be learning from him like we are today what it means to live righteously upon this earth. Because when we are, when we're near Jesus and listening to his teachings, we cannot be defeated. And I hope that's an amen to your soul because this defeatism that is all around us today has to go away permanently because we are more than conquerors through Christ. We are not sinners any longer. We are not defined by sin and death and disease. We are defined by the glory and the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. But don't make up your own ideas of good. Get them from God. Learn his commandments. Learn what he says to do and then put those into practice if we're with Jesus and act like Jesus, we are of Jesus and will reign with him forever. Jesus is worthy to have us live and act the same way that he acted upon the earth. In other words, to carry the torch of good and blessing this world. Jesus deserves that, doesn't he? For his people to continue that torch, to carry that torch, and to continue to do good and bless this world. But we don't have to fight for victory, and that's really important to know. We don't have to fight for victory. We fight from victory, because it's already been declared by our Lord Jesus. We simply live and act in boldness and confidence by striving, striving to always do good. Are you a victor in Christ Jesus today? Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this message today. Thank you for this encouragement that we can show good. We are on the right team, Father. If we're in Jesus Christ, this team is going to live 
and, and excel forever. And I, I hope that we mention, we listen to that today, that we can fight for good. We can do what is pleasing to you. We are not bound by the chains of sin and death any longer. Father, don't let us despair. Don't let us live in anxiety and, and worry, but help us to fight from victory and help us to strive to do good in all that we do for your sake. And we can also prove that we belong to you by doing good. Father, thank you for this lesson today. Glorify yourself as we leave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.